of Valor, Volume 1, Heritage, by D.E. Morris. A full cast production, narrated by Conrad Hetzer. Laidley stood at the window of his throne room, watching the darkening sky. He was not overly thrilled with the idea of waiting to launch an attack, but Merrick was convinced it was the best thing to do. Tig had not been known for his patience, and upon giving anyone a time limit to surrender, would then attack almost immediately. Those on the Isles would be expecting the very same thing, no doubt. They would gather themselves and their resources, call in any favors owed to them, and be prepared for war immediately. Prepared for a war that was still three weeks away. When the time actually came, they would be disheartened, and probably close to turning against one another for making each person wait so long. Laidley's men, with Merrick and himself leading them, would swoop in for a quick and easy victory. It was not ideal in the young man's eyes, but as Merrick reminded him, Laidley did not want to fight a hard war when still so young a king. There would be further opportunities to prove himself in battle. This was simply about justice. Has Danny returned yet? Merrick shook his head, even though Laidley had his back to him. No, my king. It is likely that he will not return before sunset tomorrow. And Ori's? Should be back any moment. It was wise of you to send one of the Volar. I think no one else would have been able to blend in as easily. Laidley turned around, a smirk for the captain of guards on his face as he moved to take his throne. I may be young, Merrick, but I'm not stupid. Merrick returned the small smile. I would never presume to say such a thing, my liege. You didn't have to say it out loud for me to know you were thinking it. Your very way of speaking to me is coddling. I did not mean to offend. You... haven't offended. The younger men watched the older with a blank expression. Merrick had been disappearing often and when pressed, would not reveal his secret reasons for being distracted. It was a good little mystery to keep Laidley's mind off of waiting. Sometimes when Merrick returned to Laidley's side, he seemed lighter. Sometimes quite the opposite. Right now was the first time in a few days that he appeared to be his usual self. It has been part of your duty to watch over me like the child I was. A crown does not magically change that perspective. Perhaps it should. Forgive me. I will try to refrain from speaking when it is unnecessary. (laughs) Oh, now you pacify. Merrick, if I held no value for what you said or felt, and thought that you were speaking out of turn, don't you think I would have said something before now? I very much value your vision on things. You have many more years at this game of war than I, and I have nothing but complete trust that you won't lead me astray. I will do everything in my ability to make certain Sadia's new High King will have a long and prosperous reign. I have no doubt about that. Both men looked up upon hearing footsteps drawing close to the Great Hall. Recognition of the approaching winged man had the young king leaning forward in anticipation. 
Ores. Laylee motioned for the man to draw closer. Your ears must be ringing. No, your majesty, they are not. The Volar scout approached the throne and stood beside Merrick, humorless, and looking more at the wall than at Laidley. I have come to report my findings and collect my fee. On with it, then. The young princess and her sister are indeed at their home castle of Altain and Sines. Your sister is with him, a willing comrade and not a hostage. I was unable to attend the council meeting, as High King Noor had already selected companions to accompany him. I was, however, able to explore the castle once permission was given by Ashlyn herself. All the guests were allowed to move freely, and I took great advantage of that. Were you able to hear anything that might be useful from Ashlyn herself? The next morning there was a meeting for tactics, rather informal and unstructured. You are correct in your assumptions of her heritage. She has Nia's daughter, though both her and her sister were fostered at Oceana and here in Sadia. Are you aware this girl is not yet queen of her country? Yes, I was. We would have heard news of it if Sines had a high ruler once again. She is very clearly the one in charge. No one questions her orders, and the people of the Isles, even the ones not from her lands directly, revere her as High Queen's heir. Interesting. Continue. There is going to be a coronation and a wedding. Is there anything else? No, Your Majesty. Laidley stared at the winged man, searching the return gaze to see if there was anything being withheld from him. When it appeared he was satisfied, the young king nodded. Very well. Your payment will be waiting for you at the door. Thank you, Your Majesty. With a bow of his head, he left the throne room. Laidley waited until the Volar was gone from the room before turning his attention to Merrick. Thoughts? For a moment, Merrick didn't speak. His lips were pursed into a thin line of concentration for the longest time, and when Laidley was close to asking again, the older man gave a small sigh. (sighs) We must look at this from every possible aspect. It would be folly to rush to war with this report alone. Laidley scowled, impatient. Then what do you suggest? You heard Ori's. We are not even a concern of theirs at the moment. That girl, the one who killed my father, isn't afraid of a battle. She is getting married. Which is precisely my concern. She is young, yes, but she is not foolish. Merrick rubbed his chin. It would be foolish to not be worried and carry about as usual. Stop speaking around the meat of it, man. What are you trying to tell me? Only that it might prove prudent to wait for your squire to return. Hear his report before making a decision on the next course of action. Laidley growled impatiently. Fine. Then I will be in my chambers planning the best way to cut down these pests once and for all. The dark was cool in a way that was unexpected, 
like jumping into a pool of water on a warm day. Luella was enjoying playing with her newfound ability. After Cavalon revealed it was something she could do in her human form, she had been doing it all day, disappearing into the shadows of one room, only to appear in another and frighten anyone who might not have been expecting her. At first, she apologized profusely for startling people. Then, she started to enjoy it. Cavalon watched her for a little while, then decided to make a game of it, telling her to find a place where he couldn't follow. This was a challenge to her, one she was taking on with great enthusiasm. Upon entering a shadow, everything would get fuzzy in her vision, almost like she was blind. This was disconcerting at first, and when she told Cavalon about it, he told her not to use her eyes. If she could forget about her sense of sight when in the darkness, she would be able to better feel where she was allowed to go and where there would be no room for her to enter into the more physical world. After trying that, after closing her eyes in her world of darkness, she immediately knew what Cavalon meant. It was like a swimmer knowing which way was up without having to actually look to find it. Luella was laughing, jumping from one shadow to the next with Cavalon close behind using natural sources of light to move with her. She jumped into a room and stopped, knowing she had found the place Cavalon could not enter by his gift alone. The room she stood in was completely dark, with no source of light at all. Even a light from under the door was blotted out somehow. Blinking several times, Luela was amazed by the way her vision adjusted. Before knowing exactly what she was, she'd always thought her eyesight was simply better in the dark. Knowing now that it was true, and the reason why, it all made sense. The blackness began to ebb, and she could make out shapes and forms. Some article of clothing had been shoved against the door to block out the light on purpose. The room was darkened for a reason. Panic rose in the whaler's throat, wondering if this was some sort of trap. She looked around, preparing to leave, but she saw a figure in a chair. Instinct made her take a step back pressing her spine against the wall. Why are you afraid? The voice was familiar, cool, and soft. She stepped away from the wall, a hand over her heart. Tazarin, you nearly frightened me to death! He laughed in the blackness. She could now see his face clearer, and that he smiled at her. That was not my intent. Luella marveled at how she could even see the lighter bits of his hair fall over his shoulders as he walked to her. She smiled now as well, reaching to touch what looked so different in the dark. I knew this was the only way to catch your attention. She let go of his hair and looked up into his face, confused. If you wanted to speak with me, all you had to do was ask. The smile Tasserin wore faded. I could speak to you any time I like, but... You would not be alone. The elf looked to the door. Even now, I know that he is out there, waiting to feel you move so he can follow you again. <laughs> we are playing a game. He told me to find a room where he could not go. And you have found it. Tasserin stepped closer, and Luella found herself against the wall again. Luella, do not go with him. His forwardness was unexpected, and made her shake her head. I have to. Tarsarin, we need to find the others. He can do it on his own. He came all the way up here without a companion and found two elementals without any help. He found two because he was lucky to find Ashlyn and I in the same company. 
He only knew where I was to start because he felt me call to him. Tasserin frowned and backed away. A call you did not even know you put out. You do not trust him. Uh, he's not given us any reason to, has he? Tasserin. Luella moved to stand in front of him, looking up into his somewhat blurry face. If Ashlyn had not trusted he lost on a good feeling, or even me, things would be very different right now. I do not argue that. Ashlyn knew what she was doing when she made her decisions. Not to mention that she was bringing you both back here, to her home, where she would have stronger security around her. She was not leaving for foreign lands where no familiar help would be available to her. I am not so helpless myself. I did not mean that. He pulled her to him and wrapped his arms around her. The thought of you being somewhere where neither Sule or I can see you and protect you. Luela rested her head against his chest and closed her eyes. When there is a threat upon your home, sometimes you must put yourself in danger to protect it. It may be foolish to leave with Cavalon, but I am neither frightened nor worried. There is little I feel I can do here while you and Ashlyn prepare for war. I feel useless. But you are not. Tasserin insisted, his chin sitting lightly atop her head. She smiled against him. There was a complete comfort there in his embrace, and a desire to stay there as long as she could. But a knock came to the door. I know you're still in there. Are you alright? Fine! I will be right out. She looked up in time to see Tasserin trying to hide a frown. She lifted her hands, taking his face into her gentle grasp. Do not trust him if you feel that you cannot, but trust me. I will be safe, and I will return. I do trust you. His hands covered hers. But when you return, will you be returning to me, or will you be returning with him? I care for you, Luella. Perhaps more than I should because of Sule, but I care for you. She blushed, glad he couldn't see her. I care for you as well, Tarsarin. We shared more than stories and memories the other night. I have not felt a bond like that before, and I have no unicorn to blame my feelings on. I was not blaming. I know. I was teasing. She felt him relax against her. Stay here with me. I will keep you safe. Luella let go of him, his words causing irrational annoyance to spark within her. I can keep myself safe. I'm quite skilled with a sword, you know. Unless the danger you wish to keep me from is really Cavalon. We know very little about him. And yet it was you who suggested to Ashlyn that we seek his guidance and our abilities. Tasserin, he will not harm me. It is in his best interest as an elemental to keep me safe. Keep me alive. He is attracted to you. <laughs> what? You spent one night with me. Now you spend two weeks with him. Luella suddenly understood and felt the heat of anger burn in her face. Is that what this is all really about? You fear more about losing my hand than me losing myself. No, I did not mean... Yes, you did. Tarsar and we have known each other very little in the grand scheme of things, but long enough to have formed a strong bond. I am going with Cavalon, for the good of this country and this war. As one who has had the throne for the last year, and has acted as the leader of the nation even in proxy, 
You should understand that matters of the heart come last when it comes to saving lives. Calming herself, Luela took a step away from Tasserin and reached for the door. You can either choose to trust me, or to simply let me go. She pulled the door open and let light spill in. Cavalon stood there with a grin for her, then a confused look inside the room when he saw the irritation on her face. I win. No more games. I need to get ready. There is a wedding to attend. There were three girls inside Ashland's quarters, helping her with everything she might need before it was time to go down to the beach for her wedding. After the early morning sparring and then flight, she'd needed a nice long soak and a very hot bath. Oils had been added to the water, so as she washed her tired muscles, soothing perfume seeped into her skin, making it soft and sweet-smelling. Once the water started to turn cold, she'd put on a long robe and had her hair set in fire-warmed rods to give it some curl. One thing she had always admired about Kinaid was the natural wave she had to her hair. Ashlyn's hair had always been straight as a pin. As her hair dried, one of the girls worked on her face. Dyed powders were used to smooth her complexion, add color to her eyelids, and give her cheeks a blushing tint. When her hair was dry, the rods were unraveled to reveal long spirals. Skillful fingers were run through once all of the rods were removed, loosening the tight curls to form rivers of gold running over her shoulders and down her back. All three girls busied themselves with pinning back small sections of hair closest to her face. Most of it was left down, with white-orange blossoms giving her a look of delicacy. With everything done but getting dressed... Ashlyn looked at herself in the mirror and took a deep breath. She hadn't expected to be so nervous. There was a knot in her stomach and a lump in her throat that she simply couldn't explain away. When a knock came to her door, she jumped and laughed at herself. It was Emmeline, come to see how things were progressing and if she could be of any help. She looked stunning in a simple gown of red and gold. It was strange for Ashlyn to feel the tears sting in her eyes. Emmeline was there in a breath, dabbing in Ashton's eyes with her own handkerchief. No crying yet, Hartling. You look absolutely lovely. Don't ruin it before Jaren even gets to see you. Ashton laughed thickly and reached up a hand to cover Emmeline's. You're trembling. I know. I can't seem to help it. Were you this nervous on your wedding day? Emmeline nodded and sat back when her daughter's face was dry. So nervous that I almost ran away. Really? Really. How did you calm yourself? I didn't. I simply told myself that I loved Wesley and would rather face life with him than without him. I was shaking and almost in tears the entire time. As soon as I saw him, though... She trailed off, a faraway smile on her face as she remembered her own wedding day. I knew it was silly to be afraid. I knew everything was going to be just fine, and that I could never love another man as much as I loved him. Still love him. Touching her daughter's hair, Emmeline's expression turned sad. I wish your parents could have seen you grow up. You've been such a joy to me. It was hard not to tear up again at those words. I wish they were here too, but... Kinaid and I could not have asked for a better mother or father in their stead. 
And I couldn't love you any more were you the one to give life to me. Openly crying now, the two women embraced tightly. It had been a very long time since she and Emmeline had been together like this. She was as strong and independent growing up as she was now. There were only a few times she could specifically remember going to Emmeline for this type of comfort. She had always been closer to Wesley, whereas Canade was the one who turned to Emmeline first. This moment was one they would both cherish forever. Sitting back on her heels, Emmeline wiped her own eyes before offering over her kerchief. So much for keeping it together. They both laughed and held hands while the girls went back to work on Ashland's face. How are Canade and Luella? Ready. As is the beach. For what Luella told me, she said it looks lovely. Ashland smiled, even though her lips were being painted. I can't wait to see it. You are done, Your Majesty. Shall we get you into your gown now? Yes. The gown had been hanging inside her wardrobe, and was now taken down so Ashton could get into it. A deep sapphire blue, the color of purity, the dress was made of silk, with flowing sleeves and layers over the skirt. The boned bodice hugged her frame as it was laced up, leaving her shoulders and neck exposed, and framing both her waist and neckline in alternating soft scoops and points. There was lacing in the front, as well as the back, more for decoration than true purpose. Flowers, the same orange blossoms that were in her hair, had been made out of snow-white linen and sewn onto the sides of the bodice where it held the laces. The full skirt had swaths of darker blue silk flowing over it to make it look full and indulgent. This, by itself, was gathered in delicate dips with the same sewn flowers on the bodice. The train, once it was attached, trailed behind her a yard in length. As a final touch, a sash of the tartan on her clan was draped across her, held in place by a silver Stuart clan pin. Almost completely ready, Ashland turned to see her reflection in the mirror. Her hands went to her stomach, resting on the flat surface of the bodice. Her own image took the words from her mouth. It was a daily process, getting dressed and ready for the day in big, elaborately decorated gowns. But this dress, this wedding dress, was so simple and so elegant, she felt for the first time that she was as beautiful as the thing she wore. Lift up your left foot, Lenny. Emmeline stepped beside her daughter to meet her reflected eyes. Ashton did as she was told watching one of the girls slip a boot on her foot and lace it up. As her other boot was put on, Emmeline lowered a golden circlet onto Ashland's head, the ornate nodding dipping low to hang a sapphire tear just between her brows. There. Now you're ready. Down on the beach, a slight wind had picked up. The fragrance of the blue and white flowers filled the air like a light blanket and chatter among the guests was just a little louder than the whispering rush of waves on the shore. Everyone gathered mirrored the fallen leaves closer to the forest line, colors ranging in bright vibrant green to a deep crimson red. Women wore their best dresses, all brightly colored brocades and silk. The men wore kilts or breeches and hose with doublets of matching colors. Everyone stood awaiting the bride. A long runner of blue ran down the beach and ended under a trellis decorated with a blue and white tent of silk. There, 
stood a man of the cloth, speaking quietly with Jaren. The groom wore a doublet of the same deep sapphire as Ashland's gown, with a white tunic underneath. Around his waist, and reaching down to his knees, was a kilt of his clan. The colors were of a rich blue and green, with thin crossings of a dull black, and even thinner stitched lines of a bright red. Around his waist was a silver chain that held his fox-head sporan in place. A carriage pulled by two black horses with blue and gold dressings came close to the beach, and two women began to play a soft, slow melody, one on a small lap harp and the other on a flute. Accepting the hand of the driver for assistance, Ashland stepped down from the solid floor of the carriage onto the soft, sandy beach. All faces turned in her direction, and her eyes left the driver to find the face of her beloved. He saw her just as she looked upon him, and Jaren's breath hitched in his throat. She smiled at him, already weepy as she walked down the center aisle. He had never seen her as lovely as she was at that moment. The breeze played with stray curls as she walked, giving her the uncanny ability to look untamed even in her elegance. Ashton approached to stand beside him with the minister, and it was all he could do not to touch her face, to take her in his arms and press her against him. It felt as though his heart could burst at any moment, and by the way Ashton looked at him as a tear ran down her cheek, it was obvious she felt it too. Her smile was genuine, even if it was hard to hold on to as Kinaid stepped forward from the crowd and wrapped a long white ribbon of silk around their joined hands to bind them together. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of the giver to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable union, instituted by the giver in paradise, and into which holy estate these two come now to be joined. They cast a look at each other and shared the same smile. Therefore... If any man can show just cause as to why they may not lawfully be joined together, let him now speak, or else hereafter forever hold his peace. Turning, Ashton scanned the faces of the gathered, wearing an expression that said if anyone spoke up, they would pay a high price. This brought out a ripple of laughter among the witnesses. There was no one present that was not pleased with this union. It was something they had all been looking forward to for a long time now. Everyone was smiling, or in the case of a few women, crying. All except Cavalon. The look he wore suggested he was uncomfortable, maybe even in pain. Ashlyn ignored him, and turned around to face the minister once more. He looked first to Jaren, then to Ashlyn. Before your vows are charged to you, Take this moment to face each other and speak from the love you pledged this day. Ashton and Jaren turned to look at one another once more. My love, how long have I waited for this day? From the very moment I saw you, all blonde tangles and untamed temper. I knew you were the one the giver had been saving me for, created me for. You had my heart the moment you told me where it was I could stick that loot I had strapped to my back. I never knew I could love someone as feisty, ill-tempered, stubborn, and hard-headed as you. I never knew I could love so deeply. Until you. I pledge to be loyal to you 
and to be the kind of man that you deserve. I promise to pick up after myself, to let you win every other argument, and to kiss you before we sleep each night. Even if I'd rather be sleeping in the stables because of how angry you are with me. His vows were whimsical, but it was exactly what she had been expecting from Jaren. By nature, his outlook was light-hearted, and sometimes even silly. If he had said anything too serious, Ashton would have been shocked. Knowing it was now her turn, she took a deep breath. All the work her girls had done was probably for nothing as tears rolled down her cheeks, but she still wanted to avoid smudging colors all over her face if it was at all possible. She started to speak, but had to stop, feeling as though she would sob instead of form any intelligible words. It's all right. Jaren lowered his head to press his forehead to hers. Take your time, love. I'm not going anywhere. I can do this. I know you can. With one more deep breath in, Ash then steadied herself so that she could say what she wanted to, and Jaren straightened. Never has a man annoyed me and held me captive before as you did the day we met. I remember once saying that I wished you had never wandered into this country, and yet secretly hoped you would never go. While many would run from a woman who spoke exactly what was on her mind, you stayed, and even let yourself be drawn by it. You won my heart in so many ways that it was impossible not to love you. You support me, and hold me steady when I would sway. Like now. I will love you when you sing out of tune, and when you have terrible morning breath. I promise to always seek your counsel, and to be honest and truthful in everything. Above all else, I promise to love you until I can no longer feel love. The minister waited a moment, to be sure neither bride nor groom had anything else to say. When they only stared at each other with smiles, he assumed it was safe to continue, and turned to Jaren. Will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together after the giver's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep only unto her, so long as you both shall live? Jaren nodded, never taking his eyes from Ashlyn's face. I will. Will you have this man to be your wedded husband, to live together after the giver's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you obey him and serve him, love, honor, and keep him in sickness and in health, and, forsaking all others, keep only unto him so long as you both shall live? I will. As Kinaid freed their hands from the ribbon, the minister took the small parcel from his pocket. He waited while Jaron removed his clan pin from his sash and pinned it to the one Ashlyn wore, just above her own clan pin. Now, the minister unwound the parcel and produced two silver bands. Each ring had an overlay of golden knotwork running around its entirety. Like the knot of our beloved isles, and the circle of these rings, there is no beginning and no end. Let your love be like that of the great dragon above, unending. By giving these rings to one another, 
you therefore intertwine your lives and become one with each other, a knot of beautiful design. Yet, like the knot, you will each have your own path that makes it complete. Share each other's burdens and help each other when you stumble. That is your charge. If this is acceptable to you, please take these rings and present them to each other with a willing heart. Both took their rings from the minister. Jaren slid his onto Ashlyn's hand before Ashlyn did the same in return. The minister smiled and looked past the couple into the crowd of onlookers. By witness of the men and women present, and by the authority of the giver above, I declare this man and woman, husband and wife. Can I kiss her now? Yes, you may kiss. But before he even had the chance to finish, Jaron had pulled Ashlyn to him and kissed her without reservation. Ashlyn wrapped her arms around him as everyone clapped and cheered. When they finally parted, Jaron wound his arms around her and Ashlyn folded herself into his strong embrace. There was no moment she could recall that equated to the sheer joy she was feeling. Now all the butterflies and nervousness beforehand seemed silly. As Jaron released her to thread his fingers with hers, she gave a silent word of thanks to the giver for the man beaming down at her. Since we are all here... Behind him, on white velvet cushions, were two crowns. Facing the minister again, Ashton and Jaron held hands and knelt before him with bowed heads. I believe there is another matter to attend to. Just as you are charged to love and protect one another, your blood and your bond have charged you with the same vow for the people of this land. As high king and queen, you are sworn to rule with a just hand and a fair heart. The people of this nation need only lift their voices to lend their support to your appointment. There was not even the space of a breath between the minister's words and a loud cheer from everyone gathered. This brought a smile to the old man's face. He carefully took the circlet from Ashlyn's head and exchanged it for a silver crown of delicate knotwork. Placing it on her head, he said, This crown was worn by your mother and your father's mother before her. With this crown comes a legacy and a past that will aid you in becoming the ruler you are meant to be. Next, he took the larger and heavier crown to place it atop Jaren's head. This crown was worn by Nia and his father before him. With this crown comes a legacy and a past that will aid you in becoming the ruler you are meant to be. Predestined by the giver, you will reign in this land for as long as you shall live. Arise, High King Jaren and High Queen Ashlyn. The couple stood while everyone clapped and cheered for a second time, elation warming the chilly autumn air. As the pair walked down the aisle to climb into the carriage, Tasserin let Kanade tuck her arm into his, and they joined in the procession that would walk back to the castle for the reception feast. You look positively radiant. Thank you. <laughs> you clean up nicely as well. And they say Ashlyn is the one with the quick wit. Kanade grinned up at him, but the elf was looking to the side, distracted. Elas, could you see from where you were standing? Elas nodded, drawing up to them. He only glanced at Tasserin before looking at Kanade. 
Yes, I could see perfectly. It was a perfect ceremony. The weather was perfect. With a small smile and tactful grace, Tasserin removed Kinead's arm from his. Elas, would you do me the favour of escorting Kinead back to the castle? There are some people I wish to greet. Of course. Elas took Tasserin's place, realising a little too late that Kinead would be stuck talking to the scaled side of his face. With a slight frown, he took Kinead's arm and looked down as they walked. Kinead glanced sideways, her brow wrinkling. Why do you do that? Do what? You look away from people when they're on the side of you. You almost look disgusted. His mouth curved downward as his gaze fell back to their path. I don't want to offend anyone. You offend me by assuming I'm offended. After a moment of walking in silence, he hesitantly turned his attention to her. I'm not sure how to respond. Elos, have I ever shied away from you? Have I ever averted my eyes when you've looked at me or spoken to me? No. Then why should you think I would be offended? He was always assuming he was offending people with his face. How could he not? He didn't look natural with one side of his face all covered in blue scales and an odd white eye looking about. He hated his own face. Why should anyone else feel differently? I'm... He frowned for the third time as his voice quieted to finish his statement. Ugly. Kanade stopped in her tracks, making Elos stop as well since they were still connected. Around them, people pressed forward like a stream splitting at a rock in its current. Her smile, forced as it was, was formal and sweet enough to keep the crowd moving. No one stopped to see if there was anything the matter, not even Wesley and Emmeline. Her father cast her a questioning look over his shoulder, but Kinaid only smiled wider. We will be right behind you! She watched her father nod, and when they were well enough behind the crowd, Kinaid withdrew her arm and folded her hands together as she looked at Elos. You look like your sister when you do that. What happened to the dragon we met under the monastery? You were rude and quick and cared nothing for what we thought of you. The man standing before me at this very moment cannot possibly be the same dragon. I don't expect you to understand. Kinaid, having a stubborn streak in her by default, moved to stand directly in his line of vision. Make me understand. That was my home. I was comfortable there. I could be myself there. Do you know how long it had been since the last time I was in this human form? Do you think I enjoy wearing these clothes and being landbound for so long? Every morning, I have to get up and see this ugly face in the mirror. It's not who I am. It's a mockery of what I am, and I hate it. There it is. That is the honesty I was looking for. Oh, you want honesty? Sometimes, I feel so unworthy to be near you that it takes everything in me not to run to the sea and never return. When you come into a room, you fill it with a light that is pure and beautiful, and when I'm with you, your light is tainted by my very presence. I draw all the attention. I never liked being the centre of attention anyway. You mock me. I do no such thing. 
What do you want from me? Taking a step forward, Kinaid put her hands on his face. I want you to see yourself as I see you. Jerking away from her touch, Elos took a step back and shook his head. It will never happen. And even if it did, to what avail? I would be the joke of your kingdom, entertainment for the guests of the castle. The beast was only ever loved by the fair maiden in the stories told to children in their youth. Nothing like that ever really happened, he knew that. I've overstayed my welcome as it is. After Lady is dealt with, I'll return to my home. No! In a quick motion, Elos had her by the arms with his face close to hers. His tone was deep and feral when he demanded again. What do you want from me? Shaken by the sudden turn in his temper, tears rushed to Kanade's eyes. Her hands were balled into fists, but she didn't try to escape his grasp or look away. I want you to trust me enough to let me in. You're hurting me! Letting go immediately, Elos backed away several steps and ran a hand over his face. I do trust you, Kanade. It's myself I can't trust. He looked at her his expression so blank that it was impossible to glean anything from it. Even his voice had fallen flat. You've been kind to me in more ways and more often than someone like me could ever hope. People who are kind to me... I think it would be best if I kept my distance from now on. Kanade clasped her hands together under her chin. She didn't understand what was happening. Moments ago, she was sharing in a beautiful wedding and feeling the lightest she had in a very long time. Now she felt like her heart was being torn to pieces. He must please. I'm not a gentleman, and I never will be. One last look at Kanade. There was only coldness in his gaze. She was helpless to watch him walk away, unbuttoning his doublet as he went. She knew he meant to take to the water. It was his comfort zone and a place where no one could reach him.